and welcome to Device Week, a podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm executive editor Sean Schmidt. One of the more significant news stories for device makers recently has been the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's final rule on intended use, which goes into effect on September 1st. What's of particular interest to the device industry is language in the final rule that establishes what the agency can use as evidence in determining whether a manufacturer intended for a product to be used off-label. Senior writer Brian Bosetta, who covers U.S. policy and regulation for MedTech Insight, has been following this. So, Brian, what's the bottom line here? What's in this final rule? Well, this story has been unfolding for quite some time now, going back to 2015, when the FDA issued a proposed rule to remove a provision that required a manufacturer to provide adequate labeling for use of a product if that manufacturer simply knew or had knowledge that a device was being used off-label. And to be clear, off-label means the device is being used in a way that the FDA did not approve for it to be used, right? That's right. Now, this 2015 proposal, in particular, this mere knowledge language, was not well received by the industry. Many argue that a device maker shouldn't be held responsible for the decisions made by a doctor, for instance, in treating a patient. So then in January 2017, the FDA submitted a final rule in an attempt to clarify the agency's standard for intended use, but it didn't succeed because it retained the mere knowledge language and folded it into this new standard, which became known as the totality of evidence standard. Okay, so what's totality of evidence? Well, it's vague, but as it sounds, encompasses a lot. Basically, totality of evidence meant that a manufacturer could be held responsible for an off-label use or misbranding violation if the FDA believed the company's communications suggested such use. Which could be a lot of things. Exactly. So, as you could imagine, this created a great deal of concern in the industry, so much so that the agency delayed implementing this final rule, then ultimately withdrew it, then essentially did nothing until September 2020. So, what did it do then? It issued yet another proposed rule. Okay, and that new proposed rule, it did what? It dropped the totality of evidence language, for one. So the FDA responded favorably to these industry concerns? Not so fast. Oh, there was something in the fine print. Well, kind of. In its finalized 2020 rule, though the totality of evidence of language was dropped, it was essentially still there. What do you mean by that? In that proposal, the FDA wrote that in determining a product's intended use, the agency may look to any relevant source of evidence, including a variety of direct and circumstantial evidence. So basically the same thing. Basically. Or as Avamed put it in comments submitted to the FDA in 2020, a distinction without a difference. So that was 2020. What, if anything, has changed in the final rule that's about to go into effect? Not much. What the 2020 proposed rule said is that, quote, Knowledge of off-label use of a product cannot by itself establish a manufacturer's intended use for the product. So by itself is the fine print, so to speak. Yes, because while the view that mere knowledge about unintended use in and of itself seems to be an industry-friendly posture, which some have argued it is, it does leave the door open, as some have argued as well, to potential trouble for a manufacturer, which is why the industry wanted a more narrow view of intended use based mainly on the promotional claims a company made about its product, such as how it advertised the product. Okay, so how could this new language in the final rule get a manufacturer into hot water with FDA? 
Because the agency explicitly says that even though intended use can be established through promotional claims, that does not preclude the agency from considering other evidence, even circumstantial evidence. So while mere knowledge alone won't be used against that manufacturer, it could be the factor that triggers an investigation into an off-label violation. Which could potentially lead to the FDA taking legal action. It could, which is why some in the industry aren't overly happy. So has anyone in industry spoken to you about this? Nothing on the record, outside of the comments submitted to the agency, which of course are public. But one top industry representative who asked not to be named said that if someone at a device manufacturing firm writes about or even talks about a device being used off-label, then the FDA could use that as evidence that the company did intend for that use, even indirectly. Sounds like there's a potential First Amendment issue here. There is. In fact, that is central to the arguments against the FDA's rule. The Washington Legal Foundation, which I did hear from after the final rule was published, said the FDA's action was an infringement on free speech and stood by formal comments it had submitted to the agency in 2020 that the FDA, under multiple court decisions, may not consider all scientific claims about a drug or device to be presumed true or misleading. In their view, The FDA's approach to intended use or misbranding fails to distinguish between true and false claims or statements. Are they alone in making that argument against the FDA? No. Other groups, such as AdvaMed, the Medical Information Working Group, and the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America also submitted similar First Amendment comments. So how does the FDA counter these free speech arguments? They reject them and cite established court precedent upholding that one's freedom of speech doesn't mean that speech can't be used as evidence. For example, the FDA points to a 1993 case, Wisconsin versus Mitchell, in which the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that there is meaningful distinction between punishing the content of speech and using speech as evidence. However, as James Beck, an attorney with the law firm Reed Smith, points out in the Drug and Device Law blog, This case, as with others the FDA cites, involve illegal distribution of drugs and devices for recreational and other non-therapeutic purposes, not legitimate medicinal uses. And the National Products Association noted in 1999, a case brought by the Washington Legal Foundation, was heard by a federal district court, which decided the FDA's policy of restricting the dissemination of medical journal articles describing off-label uses was an unconstitutional restriction of commercial speech. So not a slam dunk counterpoint by the FDA. Perhaps, but nevertheless, the FDA stands by its position that intended use regulations describe evidence that may be relevant to establish intended use. They do not themselves directly regulate speech. The agency also notes that intended use regulation does not implicate the First Amendment because Intended use is only one element of a violation under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. So speaking of the other elements, is there anything else in the final rule that the FDA might consider an intended use? Yes, design and composition. Which is what? The FDA defines it as the characteristics of the device or product, essentially how it's made. The agency cites an example of a stent that is designed in size for a use other than the use it was approved for. So the stent might be approved for use only in an artery in the leg, but it's designed in such a way that it could be used or work for another part of the body, say the heart. 
or if a device is approved to extract one liquid, but it's designed with holes that can extract a different type of liquid, a thicker substance, for instance, then even though it wasn't approved for that use, the very fact that it could be used for that use, that it would work in that use, means the FDA could use that design characteristic, the way the device was made, as evidence that the manufacturer intended for that use. In other words, why would it have been designed for that use if it wasn't intended for that use? Yes, but unlike mere knowledge or speech, this language seems to be more objective and less open to interpretation. So has anyone expressed support for FDA's new rule? Yes, consumer and patient advocacy groups for the most part. Public Citizens Health Research Group, for example, argues that this broader scope of evidence better promotes the public health by keeping a check, if you will, on the industry. How so? In the final rule, the agency argues that a more narrow approach to intended use, based on promotional claims, would allow manufacturers to circumvent FDA regulation by masking their true intent, either by simply omitting explicit promotional claims or by making claims that are not true. Public Citizen agrees and says what the FDA did was common sense. They argue that maintaining a more narrow view as the industry had wanted would only create a loophole for manufacturers to evade FDA oversight, potentially. And bridge health advocates also expressed support for the FDA's action and urged swift finalization of the rule, although it disagreed with the FDA's design and composition language and argued it should be removed. On what grounds? Bridge argues that just because a stent, to use the agency's example, approved for use in one blood vessel could be used elsewhere in the body doesn't necessarily mean the stent's developer intended it for that other part of the body. I see. So now that this rule is about to go into effect, where does that leave us? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. In many ways, it seems as though the FDA just shuffled the cards around but basically kept the same deck. Speaking to attorneys at the law firm Hogan Lovells, they say the final rule doesn't materially change the FDA's policies or approach to off-label enforcement, and that not much has changed or will change as far as the industry. Others, however, especially those in the industry, feel differently and believe device manufacturers need to watch what they say or write because even if what they say is truthful about how a device is being used, and even if they didn't intend for that use, it could come back to haunt them because the FDA now has this pretty wide net in which it can collect evidence for determining intended use. So how broadly will the agency use this net? What type of misbranding violations will it pursue? And what questions might arise concerning free speech and the boundaries of government regulation? All remain to be seen. And we'll all be watching this closely, especially as that final rule rolls out. Thanks for that report, Brian. And that wraps up this week's Device Suite podcast. Head on over to MedTechInsight.com to find Brian's reporting on the FDA's final rule on intended use. And while you're at MedTechInsight.com, check out all the latest medical device policy and regulation news and analysis. And always remember, you can find us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.